So I've been called a traitor to my race. I've been called a a token of a, a party racist to the core. I've been called, well, you're not really black because you're Tory. I'm Neil Maggs, and this is Bristol Unpacked, speaking to fascinating Bristolians on topics where others may fear to tread. Brought to you by the city's community-owned media, The Bristol Cable. This week saw major racist incidents at Millwall Football Club and Paris Saint-Germain. So we're back this week talking about race and representation. And the guest is Samuel Williams, the Conservative Party candidate for Bristol Mayor. He has some slightly different views and politics than many guests we've had on the show, particularly around issues of racial justice in Britain and beyond. And as it says on the Bristol Unpacked Inn, we do aim to talk to all manner of characters in the city, which includes people we don't always agree with. Though it's not the main focus, we do get into some matter of politics in Bristol, and it's worth mentioning that we do have an open invitation to Mayor Marvin Rees to come on the show and we will make sure to follow up with all other candidates in the run-up to the election in May. So you're a mixed race, you're a Christian, you have a background in community work, uh, you're also quite handsome. Oh, do, you, do, do, you, do you also box? Because you sound very familiar to somebody, other political person in the city, Samuel. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, t- I'll, t- I'll tell you what, Neil. So you do box as well? I boxed for about six months. That, 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 that is very similar. We have to say it. That is very similar to Mayor Marvin Rees, isn't it? <laughs> well, I you're, didn't... you're the identical Conservative Party version. I hope not. I hope not. <laughs> that's, that's no criticism of Marvin, other than no. just, uh, I hope there's some individuality there. Because <laughs> I wonder, I've been thinking about this long long and hard before talking to you, whether uh, at Tory HQ, Conservative Party HQ, they kind of thought we, we, we will find a candidate to triangulate the Labour mayor, Marvin Rees, and you perfectly fitted the M.O., you know i i don't think so i mean certainly not to my knowledge it was very much that i got to a point in my life where i was ready to step from the sidelines of politics more into into the fray of politics and and so it was very much Mm. a a local decision for Mm. the local association to through all the necessary uh, you know, applications and all of that sort of stuff, and a bit, and a good lot of encouragement, I must admit, from them to say yes, this is the right time. So I don't think it was an active political wrangling from CCMQ. <laughs> I think it was much no. more. Local. It's a genius move. It's a genius move, though, surely, <laughs> I, I, in some regard. I, what I do want to talk to you about, and I think this is probably where there is a big difference, is that lots of people in the black community would say a black man or a mixed race man should not be a Tory. Mm. Oh, it's and have you, you've heard that presumably. Yeah? I, yeah, I have. I have. And I've had it directed at me, you know, and just the, the idea of voting conservative is, uh, is horrifying to, to certain members of the black community. Certain, certain members of my extended family found it very difficult when I, uh, when I sort of came came out as conservative, it was, it was, wow, gosh, are you really? What's wrong with you? 
and and yet <laughs> and we laugh but you know it's yeah, really, yeah. it's a real, it's a, real yeah. it's a real sad reality yeah. because i look at the policy i look at the political philosophy and i make my decision and when i look at political philosophy behind conservatism it's about being the best that you can be taking ownership of your life it's it's actually about serving your community and your neighborhood you see because a more socialist political ideology would say well you know what pay your taxes and the state will look after you know those most need in your society i want to say no it's not up to the state rather it's up to me as an individual to be a member of my community and care for my community you know conservative philosophy for me is about business and business mindedness and aspiration so you would find the the more socialist attitude to tell me if i'm hearing this right mm. to the issue of race as being kind of disempowering or or, or paternal not not um offering uh or creating the kind of victimhood is that kind of what you mean uh, that's certainly part of it i think there's a real fear and certainly i faced it i i've been the recipient of a real, um, a real almost militant identity politics that comes from the left. This liberalism at its core is about individualism, uh, becoming the centre of, of your own world, which the left hold very dear to, is actually, as far as I see, really, really dangerous and actually toxic to society as a whole. You know, our modern mantra, almost, do whatever you like, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone. And for me, I think that's just such a bizarre way to think. Because whoever can actually fool themselves into believing that we can do whatever we like, in a some way disconnected from our fellow human beings, actually, our actions have a direct implication and uh, impact on others. And so yeah, I don't want to be turned into this, this identity, this, this image, this, uh, this victim, this you know, this trophy for the left to to direct. Do you find it patronising at times? Pretty patronising, yeah. Because so. are they often white people that would do that as well? I think it's a bit of both. I think yeah. it's a bit of both. You know, I, I used to have a little badge that my mother gave to me. In fact, she gave them to all of uh, my siblings. I'm one of four. And they used to have all different, all equal on. And it's such a simple little slogan all different, all equal. And yet it feels like by spending our whole time talking about our racial identity and then putting one another in boxes, we start to undermine a notion that I would say has been around Britain for years. And of course there's prejudice, of course there's racism, of course there's bias. But by and large, in my experience people, most Britons, would say, all different, all equal. Now let's get on with it. And that feels right to me. It doesn't feel right to me that we spend our whole time trying to define people and separate people on the basis of any distinguishing characteristic. And I fear that at the moment we are looking to our difference and our individuality and saying, look at me, I matter when actually there's another ideology that says, yes, you matter, of course you mm. do. Now let's figure out the way forward together. And it's the latter that I want to be part of, 
not the former, that, that I feel tends to separate and divide. And on that, so there's been a report by Polster's Opinion to do with Black Lives Matter, mm. and 55% of people felt that it actually had increased racial tension, not decreased. Mm. 44% of black and ethnic minority people agreed with that. Mm. And interesting, this one, three out of four conservative voters felt that it was the case, that actually it had been more divisive. Where do you stand on that? I suspect the facts you've just quoted there are are accurate. I know that Avon and Somerset Police have recorded a 20% increase in race-related crime, hate crime, in first three months or, or thereabouts of this year compared to last year. Uh, and, and so I think there's there's clearly been a narrative around Black Lives Matter and that, that whole movement that has has generated more race-related violence, aggression, anxiety, um, and separation than maybe overtly existed in society before. Ah, that's key then, because the comeback from the organisers of Black Lives Matter say that what this really has done is lifted the lid on Mm. and exposed the existing racial tensions that were already in place that were pushed below the surface. But you're saying you think it's added more. Well, has it added more? I think it's interesting. Maybe when when people speak about Brexit, for instance, and maybe we don't want to open up that kind of worms, but when we talk about Brexit, there was something that was being said a lot that was there's been an increase in bigotry, in violence against maybe Eastern Europeans and immigrants, and we saw that. And and yet then people would say, oh, yeah, but it was there already, but it gave people the permission to air their views. And, and that was the narrative that was going on. Now, yeah. I think in reality, that's probably that's probably what's going on. I don't I don't really think that the toppling of a Colston statue, for instance, suddenly makes someone who isn't racist into a racist. I, I, I don't. I don't think the necessarily the movement creates more angst, racism, or, or or whatever. But I do think it has created more overt division, and sides have been drawn very clearly. As I mentioned earlier, I've fallen prey to being on the wrong side of the argument on a number of instances. So I've been called a traitor to my race. I've been called a a token of a a party racist to the core. I've been called, well, you're not really black because you're Tory. And you see, I think those battle lines have been drawn in a place that makes it very easy to suddenly be labelled racist. And I think that's really problematic. As a as a mixed race man, as as a you you identify as black, would that be correct? Or not? Or was, or was, was that presumption? Kind of worms. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, either yeah. way, I think sure, that sure. by by having your blackness policed, sure, yes. Um, how does that actually feel emotionally? Right. Hurtful, and it's uh, it feels really destructive. It feels very negative. It feels like we're going backwards. You know, so often it's the person who is the self-proclaimed liberal accepting of all, the one who would say to me, "Do whatever you like, as as long as it doesn't hurt anyone." but then would say, but you are hurting someone directly by by being a conservative, by 
thinking in a way that I don't agree with. And exactly as you put it, this policing of what is the right type of black and the wrong type of black. You know, there's this horrible phrase that has never been used against me or towards me. Oh, you're one of the good ones. You know, a black person or a person of colour who acts in a way that is acceptable to society or a certain part of that society. That same sense that is being used quite regularly, and in my experience, by the left predominantly, they're doing the same thing. You're one of the good ones. The the people that are really, really pushing for greater representation, particularly around black and ethnic minority people across a range of sectors, you know, and rightly so, are probably the loudest people that would kick back against somebody in your position. Yes. So actually, do you really want greater representation and more diversity? Do you just want more people that agree with you? Exactly right. That's what I hear a lot. There is that notion of we want diversity, we want greater representation. However, it has to be in our image and it needs to be people who agree with us. And that's not representation. Well, it's not It's not diversity either, is it? It's not diversity or representation. At the moment, in terms of the percentages in political parties, so Labour have 41 black and ethnic minority MPs, uh, the Conservatives have 22, Liberal Democrats have two. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously in the shadow cabinet, and this is something that Boris kind of pushed out really, uh, yeah. some people were cynical and suggested this was a way of trying to triangulate the left. So you have Kwasi Kwarteng, forgive me if I'm not pronouncing mm-hmm. this right, Kemi Badenoch, yep. James Cleverley, Sajid Javid, who I went to school with, and Priti Patel. They're all in fairly prominent positions and have been under severe criticism, probably from their own communities, for being in that position. Yeah. Yeah, hypocrisy is clear to be seen. Diversity and aspiration is something that I can only believe that irrespective of what party you're part of, you want to see. You want to see people doing well. Now, of course, we have probably a a diversity of what we think doing well means. It's bizarre to me that when we then look at people from a, a black or Asian or minority background who are doing that, we then have communities across all communities, just as society as a whole, mm. giving them stick for that or calling them out or questioning yeah. whether they're legitimate or real or or they believe what they're saying or all of these things. It's it's so counterproductive. But I guess that the, the one thing I guess that runs counter to this, and I think it probably applies more to the black community than the Asian community. So Sajid and, and Priti Patel kind of move to one side on this is that there is a very loaded cultural context for the Conservative Party around issues to do with immigration, around Windrush, mm-hmm. around the, the you know the treatment of the black community uh, by the police and, and, and the, the lack of support provided by Conservative governments in the 70s and the 80s. There is a sort of sense that black people vote Labour. So there's a loaded context to this. Do, do you accept that some of that is legitimate? Yes. <laughs> okay. long, long and short of it. Yes, yeah. I do. I do. So you had some reservations yourself initially at signing up. Was there a part of you that kind of felt you needed reassurance from some of those issues that r- rightly you accept the black community would feel about the Conservative Party? Yes, I do. I'm so committed to the Conservative Party because what I know it can be and the vision towards which we are aiming. But 
to get there, the Conservative Party, we need to start being really honest about the poor practices, the poor leadership, the mistakes that the party has made. And and they exist. There's, in fact, they're many. I mean, Enoch Powell was the, the death now, wasn't he, really, for the Conservatives? That still echoes now, doesn't it, in certain communities, the, the rivers of blood speech. And I think that kind of sticks and has never really been shaken off. That's, I, think, I think that's fair. I think that's... And I think it's important to put that in the context of the time, of course. Uh, it's the same time as the civil rights movement in the States. And I'm not defending Enoch Powell here at all. But uh, I think what's interesting and what's never attributed to him is that actually when he was health minister, he was the one who put the call out to the Commonwealth to come and serve the NHS. So all of those doctors from Pakistan and India who came to the UK in the late 60s and 70s were as a direct result of Enoch Powell's intervention as health minister. We're very quick to label him as a awful racist. And I, look, he may have been, I don't know. And I think there's probably quite a lot of writing to suggest that he was quite biased. Of course, he wanted to send certain people back to the Commonwealth, uh, which of course was not right. But people can both be good and bad at the same time, right and wrong at the same time make mistakes and have successes at the same time. I think okay, yeah. we're all a bundle of paradox, right? You know, yeah. all the time we're, we're conflicted in who we are and how we behave. And that is not an excuse. It's just an acceptance of the diversity that exists within yeah. each of us. So do you feel now when you see that every five minutes on Twitter, somebody has said the wrong thing we just recently had the fa uh, uh, the fa chairman having to stand down for mm. using the word and using putting speech marks in colored instead of black are we are we in a danger now where anybody that slightly says something that's not politically correct and they're sort of jumped on they're just cancelled completely and how, how how useful is that in in tackling race relations it is wholly unhelpful wholly unhelpful Okay. And I, yeah. I, 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 it, no, it really is. I, I really believe that very strongly. It's really unhelpful. How do we ever progress if we will not allow the diversity of view to be heard, debated, discussed, and overcome? We will never. See, I, um, I used to work as an advisor for further education colleges, uh, particularly around the time of the prevent agenda and when that was really coming out, uh, anti-radicalization. Prevent was anti-terrorist recruitment, wasn't it? Extremism, yeah. Yeah, exactly right. And of course, you know, there was a lot of fear. We were starting to see people being radicalized and teenagers ending up in Syria or were also being radicalized on the far right. We saw some people radicalized from an animal rights position. But the point I'm making is this. In nearly every instance when I'd go and begin the conversations with college leadership, the tendency would be to basically say, how do we minimise any chance of any of this stuff happening? And we do that by making things strict. And what I would come in and say is, but how do we identify those who are most at risk of radicalization if we don't let people share their views? that we can get to those young people and support them before they go and do something extreme. 
You see, transparency, as far as I'm concerned, trumps uh, protectionist uh, ideology. And what I'd say the cancel culture is about, it's I don't feel comfortable with something that's being said here, so I'm going to lock you down and stop you from saying something. But as far as I'm concerned, that just sends it underground. Yeah, if if you don't allow somebody to express a view, how can you challenge that effectively? You know, I think there was a time that we could simply listen to what someone says, one, take responsibility for our own response and, and how we take it, and two, say, well, he's an arsehole or she's an arsehole. Let's just not listen to that person. And society as a whole would say, oh, what an idiot. But it feels like we've, for some reason, we've lost that ability just to let someone say something and then pretty quickly, you know, cancel them as society because they're clearly idiots or extreme or whatever. Instead, everybody is cancelling everything. And this goes back to what I was saying earlier about extreme liberalism or extreme individuality, which is what it is in, in its heart. Because if you've created a world in which you are the plumb line of truth, actually suddenly your truth is shaken when someone says something that you disagree with. And actually, I want us to get to a point that we can hear something that we fundamentally disagree with and we can say, yeah, but I might be the one who's wrong and bring a bit of humility and a bit of openness back into the conversation. And of course, when it comes to some things of like overt racism or sexism or whatever, then, then we just call them out. Rubbish. Let's get on with it. But something of nuance, I think, is is critical race theory. Sure. Okay. So um, that is something that is presented at the moment, off the back of the Black Lives Matters, is presented as fact. So Equality Minister Kemi Badenek has kind of kicked back against that. We've had two guests on this series that have really been pushing for the decolonization of the classroom. Talked about representation and the fact that we don't study black history enough. People, you know, young black students don't see kind of role models, uh, famous, successful people from their history. Kemi came out and basically kicked against that and literally criticised what she called woke culture an overhaul of the school curriculum. Her concern in schools was the fact that it's simplifying education and history to good people being black, bad people being white. And we should teach good and bad in everyone. Mm-hmm. And she was jumped on by that as denying the reality of any kind of black struggle. Was she really denying it or was she just coming out against critical race? Theory? You know, I think what Kemi was saying, look, we can't simply turn the bias on our whole education and by virtue our whole history because that's the the flavour of the month. Uh, so we can't simply go from one bias to another. We need to recognise that there is good and bad in all and there is a diverse history. My, my understanding from what she said is that she fears the time that her children come home thinking that all of white British history is bad and all black British history or the history of of slavery or whatever is is actually all about either victimhood or good people. You know, history is history. Now, I think one of the things that I'm really keen to say is that I 
there clearly is racism, prejudice, bias in society, structurally and amongst individuals. Uh, I think that's evident. I'm not denying that fact. But what I am saying as strongly is that to reconstruct a history that is equally false in favour of another demographic or people group is not resolving the issue. And and I think it actually exacerbates the fear that Enoch Powell actually played on all those yeah. years ago, which if you remember the speech and said, uh, one of my constituents says he looks at his high street and says he doesn't recognize it anymore. It's the same narrative we see and hear again and again and again. I guess the argument should be that maybe white people need to feel a bit more, a bit uncomfortable, like yeah. black, black people have done. They need to feel that a little bit. But I guess the, the the reaction then comes, going back to the statistics that people yeah. are saying around the increased racial tension, is that at the moment, how effective is that? Is it making people more awake, awoken, for want of a phrase, making yeah. them aware yeah. of this history? Or is it pushing people to the sidelines to feel more resentful? You tweeted yourself in response to mm-hmm. uh, Kemi Badenoch, and you said, absolutely, I will not be the token victim of political ideology. I do not want a society based on pity and shame. I want equality and a level playing field. And that's a key point for me is that, so it's, you know, you're not saying this, there isn't racial inequality, but what you're saying is the impact of telling somebody that, and this is the the argument that's gathering ground with, with black conservatives in America is that if you keep telling people that, that the odds are stacked against you, society is institutionally racist what's gathering momentum now is every institution is racist it, it, does it send a message to young black boys and black girls that you know i can't achieve anything is that yeah, right the, you know the game is stacked against you you know the you'll never achieve a uh, amount to anything unless you overthrow the oppressor or you you become the uncle tom you know, this this type of notion. And I want to say, you know, I want to call bullshit on that because actually, you know, look at myself, look at many, many, in fact, look at the majority of the black community, the Asian community, the minority community actually are deeply entrepreneurial, achieving, highly educated, engaged citizens. You know, actually society in Britain today is is wholly diverse and by and large progressive and achieving and aspirational. And this notion of, yeah, but you know, I won't be able to cause I'm a victim and, and, and everything is set against me. Yeah. I can't buy it. Now, you know, a dear friend of mine, even just, I mean, he put a thing on his Facebook just this afternoon before we spoke uh, to say, I'm, I'm going to call it now, as far as I see it, Britain is a deeply violent and systematically racist country. And and I just I I can't I can't buy it. It's not my experience. Now if people want to say no but that is my experience, then we can listen to the diversity of view. But what we mustn't do is say that the black experience is X. It's one of inner city deprivation, undereducation and underachieving because it isn't. And I, I would have that for my children. I mean, I, you could even argue that actually around education in schools, mm. the failing of what well, traditionally what was the failing of young black boys, 
and that was put down to institutional racism, but the highest achieving were West African boys from Ghana and Nigeria. So, so there's something else happening as well. I want to just switch focus a little bit onto party politics in the city. Shh, it's all so quiet and faithful and chill. You blow the door. Da, da, da. You get the point. That's Bjork. You still aren't putting enough money in, are you? We want more members every month. Come on, chuck a few quid in. Otherwise, I will continue to sing week after week. Maybe that's why you aren't paying in, because you actually do want to hear me sing, because I've got such beautiful, dulcet tones. Join the cable. Go on the website, which is Cable something. I don't know, stick it in a search engine. And um, just put a quid in a month, £5, whatever. But if you do that, we'll continue to make groundbreaking content. Back to the chat. What do you make of Mayor Marvin Rees? <laughs> Thanks for that question. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> what, do I make, what do I make of uh, Marvin Rees? Um, as a person, I want to believe that he is committed to what he believes and he's striving towards it. His, his record in leading the city, I think, is really mixed. And... I think we really need to, as a city, start asking ourselves, honestly, and I know we sometimes think of ourselves as a city as having left-leaning tendencies, but we need to really ask ourselves, is is Marvin serving all of the city? Is he really boosting the economy? Is he really ensuring that there's jobs for all? Is he really building enough houses? Is he really ensuring that the most deprived parts of our city are served? Is he really administering the city finances efficiently? What's the difference between you and him? Because a lot of people mm. on the left uh, w- w- that are critical of Marvin would say that he is actually very business friendly and very much to the right of, of Labour. I, th- I, th- I, uh, I suspect it probably is true. And I think he is aware of that. And I understand that he receives some criticism from his own party that he's maybe too business friendly. However... There's, uh, there's a. Different- you should love him then, shouldn't you? If he's too business, if you're, if you're a conservative, is that what <laughs> that's all about? No. Well, you see, here's the thing. There's a difference between uh, cre- between negotiating business deals with large multinationals to deliver um, projects in the city, and on the other hand, supporting enabling an ecosystem in which SMEs can thrive. And now, I have a huge part for large organizations but actually the backbone of our economy are smes startups innovation and our city is known for it and actually we could be doing so much more to create the resource the support and the ecosystem for those smes to thrive and that's where i'd say you can highlight the difference because actually it's fine to nod towards business and act as if you're business friendly and then actually believe wholeheartedly that business is one of the best, if not the best, way of achieving a society in which all can thrive. And and I do believe But isn't that. he really close to Business West or on Business West in and out of City Hall all the time and they're all sat on the one city boards? Um, is that not what one, I guess, could be and has been critical of other elements of his leadership, but in the context of his relationship with business? Mm-hmm. That's... Well, I mean, let's take the energy company, for instance. Yeah. Uh, the council tries to go into business and starts a business. Now, £6 million had been invested 
into a company by the time uh, Marvin uh, took uh, power. So £6 million investment. We don't know the final bill, but it's going to any, be anywhere between 40 and £50 million loss under his leadership. And so you can say it's fine to do some roundtables with business groups. It's fine to talk the talk that generates some inward investment. It's fine to produce a perspective and travel around the world to to get some multinationals to come and engage in the city. But it's a very different thing to understand business and to ensure that that, that, that the city is a place in which businesses can thrive. And we need that at a time no more than now when we're trying to recover from COVID. You've come out quite strong against some of the things he's done. Um, you accused me of playing party politics and uh, around the uh, blocking North Somerset coming mm-hmm. into Wecker. Uh, you had a pop at him about the council tax rise. Yeah, all, all you know, legitimate challenges on the local scene. But my question to you is, you know, how could you criticise local government that, that's that's hamstrung by the the you know ten years of austerity by the government from the party that which you represent that many people would argue that it's put him in such a difficult position that he's had to think innovatively or do things differently that some have worked and some haven't worked. But he's kind of playing with a with a really weak hand, surely. Well, you know, a, a bad workman blames his tools, I suppose, really. It's a big failure when it's a £40 million failure. It's a big failure when coming out of a crisis, council tax uh, is having to rise. I don't think those are small things. But, uh, you know, I, I hear your point. And it's a point that I hear directed towards me semi-regularly because I think it's it's almost an easy point to make. Oh, well, it's it's obviously Tory cuts, Tory austerity. But then again, there are other councils who are not wasting money here and there. There are councils who are who are building houses and meeting the need. There are councils who are delivering despite the difficult challenges that we're all under. What's he done well? I, I really think, uh, actually, the the notion of one city is, is actually very positive. I think the, the idea of uh, charities, uh, businesses, trying to work together for the good of the city is a positive approach to politics. And I would look to continue that were I elected, because I do believe that collaboration over competition is the way that we will develop a society that works. I think he's been very clear in pushing back to people and saying, well, if you want to see something done, give us an offer, let's negotiate. Well, yeah, and and that's kind of my point, is that the one thing that Marvin very much is, the mayor is very much focused on, is social mobility, which you could argue really is a, where did that start? That started with Margaret Thatcher, didn't it? Yeah, it's a, it's a. It's not that different, is it? Really, it was the ball was then picked up by Blair. This whole sense of you can be anything, mm-hmm. you know. I know an awful lot of working class Tories that did. That lots of people, you know, have this. They hate Thatcher. I know a lot of working class Tories that stopped voting Conservative when people got rid of her. And I think yeah. a lot of the politics I hear coming from the left or the centre left is I can't see the difference. What is the fundamental difference between the social mobility being proposed by this Labour administration in the city and what you would? As a conservative, it's pretty much the same, isn't it? Well, I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think it's the same, I, I, and I don't, I don't know that it's. The question is is almost too big to to easily just answer. Sure. But I, I think, I, you know, I think what you're getting at is you're right. There is a 
there is a philosophy within the left, a maybe sort of centre Blairite type left, of which I think Marvin is one, that recognises the real value that conservatives have been campaigning for and, and leading, which is about aspiration and social mobility. What's the difference? I think the difference is that I would deliver where it's not been delivered. And I think we need to start really being honest about the tragedy of it not being delivered in certain parts of our city. Poor transport, no job, uh, you know, opportunity. And, and that's, that reflects the national picture. And, and I wanted to just uh, to ask you about that, actually, is that there has been a re-collaboration under Boris, this whole thing around the Red Wall. Mm. So the Red Wall of Bristol is really South Bristol, a couple of the estates in the north, South Mead and Lawrence Weston. I spoke to Tony Dyer last week, a Green Party member born and raised in South Bristol, who he said that he felt that it, despite valiant attempts to various degrees, that the Labour Party had basically failed in South Bristol. Clearly, the electorate in the Red Wall in the North felt the Labour Party failed them. People were voting for the Conservatives for the first time since the 1930s. Could we ever see that happen in Bristol, real left-behind areas of the city that aren't part of this kind of narrative of success that everyone else shares? Do you see that as somewhere you can make real inroads in this mayoral campaign? Uh, Yes, uh, quite simply, I do. There are areas, as you've rightly put, similar to to like we saw in the the North uh, in the general election, that have voted Labour for many years, maybe generationally in some instances, because the belief is that, well, Labour, they, they care about us, don't they? But actually, people are starting to realise that, you know what, if this is what Labour in power means to me, I'm still struggling to pay my rent, feed my kids, afford a car or even keep the lights on. Well, then actually, I don't want any more of this type of Labour because it doesn't serve me. And that's not an easy thing to say. I really recognise that because the way we vote is really culturally ingrained. And like I say, generationally in some instances. But that's why I say we're at a point where we need to start asking the question, not only in the city, but actually regionally, is your leader serving you rightly? You know, nationally, is your leader serving you properly? And that's why I'm standing in the mayoral election thanks for talking to me Samuel that's been really fascinating I think we're going to talk again probably around February I hope so I'm going to, I'm going to be interviewing all the mayoral candidates it'll be, I'll be a bit more in Paxman mode on that one yeah. <laughs> I look forward to it it's been an absolute pleasure thank you for having me on great and the good thing about podcasts is we can have a good nice long chat it's probably quite nice for a politician rather than just being charged at with quick oh, fire questions yeah? it really is and I probably more than some like the, I, I mean, I really thrive on the nuances of discussion and conversation. In fact, just before we spoke, I was on with Mary Page uh, from oh, yeah, the, the Mid End yeah. and talking about all sorts of stuff. It's the first time I've actually had a long conversation with her, but we were wanting to touch base on a few things. And really, we were talking about universal basic income and, and these yeah. sorts of things that. Actually, I think it's really important that we have these longer conversations. And the media is so full of, you know, give me your 10 seconds. So thank you. I really appreciate it. Appreciate that. All the best, Samuel. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Fascinating to walk inside the mind of somebody that is black, mixed race, 
and Conservative Party member and, and candidate because we do hear a lot about the black experience in Bristol but it does tend to be from maybe one or two perspectives but his is coming from completely the other side which is why I was really interested in talking to him actually giving space to, to listen and to hear and, and not to just reflex and to judge which is what this is all about this show yeah just came out you're respecting the guy actually I think Poshard and I thought um, so my accent's going to sound uh, you know a bit <laughs> a bit Bristolian in comparison I can't see there's that much difference between him and Marvin really if I'm honest but yeah I'll let you um, yeah I'll be um, drop, drop a note in the, in the comments let us know what you thought cheers In the next episode, we cross the political divide and talk to Labour councillor Helen Godwin. She is the cabinet member for Women, Families and Homes and the lead member for Children's Services. She covers the South Me patch and recently lost a Metro Mayor candidacy for the Labour Party. Thanks for listening to Bristol Unpacked. I'm Neil Maggs and a big thanks to Rosa Eaton, our audio producer, Adam Cantwell-Corn, our executive producer and Blue Dot for our music. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes. And if you want to support what we're doing, join the Bristol Cable along with 2,000 others to create a new kind of media for the city.